Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop. Joining me today is the bona fide and brilliant Bruce Scott, CPA. <laughs> MBA, FCA at a large foreign accounting firm and author of 14 Steps to Financial Freedom. If you would like to learn more about today's guest or his book, you can check out his website at 14stepstofinancialfreedom.com, and that's the number 14. Or you can uh, check him out on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'll have those links in the episode description. And be sure to reach out to us with your suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com, number two. Or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. We'll have all those links in the episode description so you can peruse them at your convenience. Now, without any further ado, let's get to know today's guest. Bruce, how are you doing today? I am very good, Kyle. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, it's been an interesting day today. I'm watching the markets. Um, recording this on what day is today? The 18th. Finally got out of a massive balance area. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so, Bruce, you're from Jamaica. Yes, sir. Beautiful Jamaica. <laughs> is it uh, is it common in Jamaica to have very American sounding names? Yes. Like Bob Marley uh, is one of the ones I was thinking of. Um, yes. And British sounding names as well. British. Um, oh, that yeah, makes sense. So, yeah. Just like the US, although you got independence a lot longer and earlier than we did. <laughs> right. So you got, I think, independence 17 something. We got it in 1962. So it's all that British influence that... Um, was left behind, so to speak. So, yeah, my name is Bruce Scott. <laughs> I, I just, I was just watching a English show, and they had a guy from Malaysia on there, and he he had a very British sounding name too. But it was like Nigel. Like, there's a lot of Nigels and stuff there. He said that they left, uh, they left Malaysia in like the '60s, so all their names and stuff stopped from that period. <laughs> so they yeah, have all these, all these old older names. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So, how did you get interested in like the the financial world? Well, this I was exposed from high school. So in, in Jamaica, our educational system is built on the back of the British system. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly how the American educational system works, but in high school, they introduce us to 
believe it or not, accounting from the ninth grade. Really? Yes. And I was introduced to accounting, you know, balance sheet, profit and loss. And I was very good at accounting. Hmm. And so I kept doing it all the way until what you would call 12th grade. And when I got to what we also call sixth form, which is a British term, mm-hmm. I picked up economics as well. And I did advanced math. So I was introduced in high school and liked it. And so I decided that I'd become first uh, a British chartered accountant. Forgive, the not forgive, but we're from a British heritage. So, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of our stuff was British or name or our educational system or mm-hmm. accounting designations. Right. And then having gotten the British professional designation, I also went and become an American CPA <laughs> through the state of Colorado. I, mean, I just live. Miami is 90, 90 minutes from Jamaica. I felt like it made sense to have an American uh, designation. Yeah. So, and then I went to work at a big four firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers Jamaica, um, a member firm of PricewaterhouseCoopers International, one of the largest professional services networks in the world. And that's my entry into the world of finance. And uh, that's that's definitely different than the U.S. Is there's just not enough financial literacy being taught, I think, at any level and, uh, you know, from grade school up to high school, where really, I think that could be a huge benefit to a lot of the population. Like even something as simple as learning how, you know, to balance a checkbook would have been nice, you know, 20 years ago. I guess it's not quite as important these days, but yeah, some of those skills like, ah, but but the thing is, Kyle, even though I was exposed to accounting, Mm -hmm. it was because I elected um, accounting and it's nice to have been introduced, but it's slightly different from the personal finance. Mm-hmm. You know, accounting is like historical stuff. The personal finance is a lot of it is prospective. You know, mm. what am I going to do when I reach 60? Um, right. My kid is going to get to college age. Some of it is retrospective, where you have to look at what you spend from a budgeting perspective. And that's actually why I wrote the book, because yeah. I realized that, that that this thing is not taught. This thing meaning how to manage money that we have to touch for the rest of our lives. It's not taught in schools. It's in the same way that science is taught. I know. So that was my driving force for the book. <laughs> There's, I've talked to a few people that have, that have given back to communities. And I see that you've actually gone back and like the book came from a course that you were teaching at your high school. Yes. How did you get involved getting back there and actually, you know, teaching to them? How how did that happen? Excellent question. Um, might give you a long answer. No, take your time. <laughs> I love hearing these stories. So, Kyle, um, I also happen to have, if you hear me say qualify, I mean, when I became a professional accountant. So I became a professional accountant at a very young age. It was a national record at the time in Jamaica. Oh, congratulations. Um, I was, yeah, I was 21 years old and... You know, there was a lot of celebration around that. So having gotten that brand, a lot of people just believe I know everything. I don't mean that literally. but So they tell me about their, their money worries, their money problems. And as I listened very openly and willingly, free of cost. Mm-hmm. I remember one night I was on a call with a couple from the U.S. having done a free webinar from 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock in the night, just coaching them through their stuff, mm-hmm. deep stuff, deep in the sea of debt and similar challenges. And I saw that there was a systemic um, trend with a number of other persons who would talk to me. Mm -hmm. 
And these were persons who were in in serious pain. You know, there is a strong relationship between your the size of your savings and your bank account and your emotional well-being, right? Yeah. There, there is a strong link. So having given that background, Kyle, and I realized, and a lot of those persons would say to me, Bruce, the coaching that you're giving to me, I wish if somebody had taught me this 15 years ago. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I am not kidding. I, I can be a little bit dramatic, but I'm serious. That's what they said. And I actually spoke about this in the book, what I just said a while ago. And with that, I went to the principal of my high school in 2019, I believe. And we stood on the basketball court at Jamaica College, 189 Olo Pro, Kingston, Jamaica. And I said, Mr. Robinson, I would like to come and teach. We, we, we have a term. It's an all-boys school. It's a, one of the prominent high schools. I said to him, I would like to come back and teach the college men. That was We use the word college for high school. So my high school is Jamaica College. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, It's really a high school. Really confusing. And I said, I'd like to teach this to the what you would probably call um, 11th and 12th grade. And he agreed on the spot, right there on the basketball court. And so ever since that time, I have taught with a willing heart, no charge. It's such a joy. Um, 11th and 12th graders. And guess what? The teachers <laughs> have now joined into that class. I was going to ask. I was going to ask how many other adults tried to jump in there. It, it, it was amazing. And the teachers were meant to be it was ceremonial, the very first one. Hey, you know, old boy, Bruce is back. And they were just there to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And they never left. They never left. They came back every week. Oh, that's amazing. It is an amazing story. So, so you, know, you mentioned some of the struggles that some of the people you talked to had went through. It sounded like you had had some of those same struggles growing up. Correct. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how you how you managed to elevate yourself? Yeah, man. Whoa, Kyle, you're on fire, man. Great question. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Then try. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, you know, we tend to use euphemisms like I grew up in humble circumstances. Yeah. I grew up in a poor household. My mother had 11 siblings. In other words, my grandmother mm-hmm. had 12 children, including my mother. And we grew up in what we would characterize as tenement yards. Mm. Those are yards with other neighbors, and you only have like two rooms, and the bathroom facilities are outside. Yeah. So if you want to do your stuff in the middle of the night, <laughs> you better go out and look up at the beautiful skyline. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. So that was the context in which I was born and raised, tough inner city community, but my family taught me. The value and power of education. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a cliche, but it was a real thing. And I got it. I got it. I used to travel to the markets to sell clothing with my grandmother, Mm -hmm. who was a dressmaker. And um, I made a decision that we were going to be lifted out of this poverty. And I saw education as the vehicle to get me out. And so I did very well academically driven by the passion and the obsessive desire to change our financial situation. And um, that's so, 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 and then I went to work at PricewaterhouseCoopers Jamaica. I became a partner at 32 years old and now I'm the head of the firm. It's an amazing story, if I might say so. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and yeah, so, so, so having struggled financially, Kyle, growing up, mm-hmm. when people 
share their burdens with me. I can identify with them and I don't charge. I listen and I, I will do just about anything in my powers to challenge them to do behave differently because there's a strong link between behavior and money. And, and so, you know, I'm also from a, a biblical worldview mm-hmm. and only what I mean by that is a lot of the times when messages are delivered, delivered by the, the prophets, the prophets who suffered where the people suffered were able to deliver those messages more passionately because they know what it is like mm-hmm. to, to be um, plundered by the enemy or to have your house burned right. down. So when they see somebody else's house burned down, they will do anything to, to restore that person. So that's my worldview. And that's why I'm so passionate about helping others. It makes a lot of sense because like, when you talk to somebody who's, you know, the head of an accounting firm, a major one and, you know, living a good life. And then he comes and tells you, you got to change your attitude. Like it, it, it's one thing coming from somebody who's, you know, was born into that life, but somebody who lived, you know, the struggle that you're going through, it just becomes that much more powerful, that much more impactful. Yes. And I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying there. Yes. Yes, it does. So you said that education was the main focus and the main tool that you used to, to, to lift yourself. Do you think that that is a, a, another path that you'd recommend or the same path that you'd recommend to other people or are there other ways that other avenues that people can, can try to, to elevate themselves or, or lift themselves out of their. Well, you know what? I think it would be my number one, if I were to rank, yeah, it should be my number one recommendation simply because I also believe that every one of us has natural gifts and talents, passions mm-hmm. that we have. And those are like diamonds in the rough. And for example, I am pretty good at numbers, mm-hmm. but I needed the, the roughness, so to speak, that diamond to be sharpened with further education and training. And so everybody... I think with a little bit more knowledge and education, it doesn't always have to be a four-year degree, right? Right, right. Um, it, it, it's just you taking, like, let's use Usain Bolt from Jamaica, right? Ah, yes, yes. The fastest man alive. <laughs> he was a diamond in the rough. He did not do well in the 2004 Athens Olympics. He fell below his potential. And he saw Glenn Mills, who became his coach, And Glenn Mills took who was going to be this amazing global superstar. And he was a diamond in the rough. He needed education. He needed Mm -hmm. training. He needed nurturing. So I think every one of us, regardless of our class or background, you would do well to educate yourself. A lot of young people say, oh, Bill Gates fell out of school, dropped out of school. But guess what? Bill Gates had knowledge. He had wisdom. He he had it in a different format, right? He still went to school. He still learned something. And (laughs) And he still had to spend hours learning stuff even it may not have been in a university environment yes um you know the other ways kyle you know i have a there are lots of young people today i want to be a youtuber nothing is wrong with that because it speaks to entrepreneurship but Mm -hmm. even if you want to be a youtuber it doesn't substitute from the fact that you're gonna have to have something to to present you're gonna have to be educated about something so (laughs) you know what i only have one answer for you man you gotta find some knowledge somewhere and be a master of that. <laughs> you need a fabulous inheritance. I don't know if you can put your pot on the fire for that. It's really about getting something between your two, your 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 two heirs, and bringing in, of course, the emotional intelligence, the hard work, the integrity to marry with that raw knowledge of you being good at something. 
I, I love that. I love that answer because yeah, that education <laughs> is the answer, and that's it is. Anyway, look at it. Formal degree or not, and and not even like college necessarily. Like you no. said, like my personal path, uh, college was not you know in my future is not something I had any interest in. But I also knew that I had to do something to better my circumstances. I was working at Walmart as a nineteen year old, living on my own, like barely with enough cash to make ends meet. And I ended up joining the Navy because to me, that was a way to force myself to learn a skill or a trade. And it ended up being one of the best decisions I think I've ever made. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, everyone has, there's other ways to get your education, but there's no substitute for it, I think is the, the point you made. There is no substitute. If you want to, if you want to, and I'm going to put it in quotation mark, if you want a relatively safe path and you want to go to college route and you had a work to, don't particularly like student loan, but I think there's a place for it. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go that safe path, safer path, um, that's fine. You know, the studies show that if you do have a college degree uh, and, you you know, you're likely to earn more right. than someone who stops with a high school diploma. But what the studies don't necessarily show is that for persons who have, which is, I'm saying the same thing in a different way, that if you found other ways of, quote, unquote, educating yourself, mm-hmm without the label of a college degree, and you may have the scholarship of a college degree, and you can add value in that context, then 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 go for it, right? Yeah. Um, I don't want anybody to feel like because they didn't go to college, they are under this 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 dark cloud of you can't get true success. Absolutely not. Read Outlier <laughs> by Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> you can you can make six figures easily uh, just doing some simple welding uh, apprenticeships. Exactly. Like the pipe fitters make a killing, but you have to be willing to travel. I mean, there's other opportunities. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Doesn't have to be the four year degree route, like you said. Doesn't have to be. So uh, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit uh, with the, with the book, some of the ideas behind it, and you said that it had a lot to do with with your mentality around money. Uh, am I understanding that right? Can you can you speak a little more to that idea? My mentality around money. Um, like your beliefs so- and your. Yeah, one one of the reasons why a lot of persons don't progress further along the road to financial freedom mm-hmm. is because they have distorted belief systems around money. I'm going to expand on that, right? So I have an expression, and I'm not going to claim that it's I design it or own it, that belief affects behavior, right? Mm. If I say to you, Kyle... You know, the location that you're at with this podcast, there is a a, a, a lion in the basement. I don't know. I don't know if you're in a basement, right? But I am, actually. Hungry... How'd you know? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just guessing, right? There's a hungry lion that has the ability to bore through the wall. If you believe that, this is the end of this podcast. You yep. are out of that basement, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm saying, Kyle, there are messages that we all have received about money. And one of those messages is that money is, is having wealth is, is evil. Having, yeah. you know, money is, is having a lot of money is evil, which is bad belief. Yes. And when you believe that stuff, then it affects your view towards working hard, which is where most of us get certainly our initial seed mm-hmm. to go and invest that into wealth, turn it wealth. So your mentality is important. So thank God I knew from an early age 
that money itself, Mr. Kyle, is not evil. Mm-hmm. It is the love of money <laughs> that is a root, not the root either, two mm-hmm. corrections. Money itself is not evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so, you know, persons need to understand that it is okay. It's what you do with that money. And in the book, I argue very strongly that when you have achieved enough to take care of yourself and your family, and you have a little excess, the book is called, the tagline to the book is Simple Strategies to Grow, Protect, and Sow Your Money. Very easy to remember. How to GPS your money. Grow, protect, sow your money. And the sow, coming back to mentality, mm-hmm. the sow your money, I'm not repeating anything to do with grow. When I say grow, I mean budgeting and investing and so on. Mm-hmm. Having budgeted, having saved, having invested, now you've protected with your insurance products and your estate planning. You now need to sow. I'm talking about mentality. And the sow there is to give back to those who are naked and wounded and hurting and need a helping hand to get to financial freedom. So that's part of the mentality too. So whilst the love of money is the root of all evil, you know if you cling too tight or if you're loving it too much, if you're not willing to open your fist and help somebody else to get to a level of financial freedom, which is why I give back so many hours to my Mm -hmm. high school and the person I was on the phone with for four hours and didn't charge them. Mentality and money are like a pea in a pod. Sorry for the passion. Sorry for the long answer. No, I love it. I love it. Vote me on that, Mr. Kyle. (laughs) I will. That's the tagline of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I need to get you and Rich Friesen, I think, in a room together. Rich Friesen just uh, wrote his own book on a very similar concept about, about our relationship with money. Yeah. Uh, I would love to, I think, to just put you two in a room, hit the record button, sit back and listen to you guys talk ideas, because I think that'd be fascinating. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So money and mentality, um, and if you link it back to my opening remark about belief affecting behavior. Mm -hmm. So if you believe all that nonsense, sorry, sounds strong about money itself being evil, then you're going to not push to work hard because you're going to say if i accumulate a lot then i'm an evil person you know it's, yeah it's but but these messages are seeped in subconsciously and yes. sometimes directly yeah every time you hear or see those hit pieces on billionaires talking about how terrible they are or uh i mean like i don't know there's a lot of people out there doing good with money there's a lot of people doing bad with money money is a tool money's not yes money doesn't have yes. any motivation money doesn't care about you Yes. And, and and it's funny that you would say that because in the book, oh, in the last part of the book, right, mm-hmm. where I talk about sow your money. So the sow your money is, a, is the book has three parts, grow your money, protect your money and sow your money. And under sow your money, it has two short chapters. And the first chapter is love thy neighbor. And in there, I talk about the standard to which we need to help others. And it is simply us seeing someone in need and not necessarily that the person even ask us. That's a very high standard. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I gave I gave an anecdote of again just just for illustrative purposes, not trying to convince anyone about religion, but just for illustrative purposes, the story about the Good Samaritan. The man was robbed. He was beaten and broken and bruised and lying on a dark Jericho road. He could not speak. But what spoke? His lifeless body. 
mm-hmm. shouting for help. And somebody with the means saw him and helped him. He saw the need. The man couldn't talk. Yeah. He was half dead. <laughs> oh, oh don't stop me up, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I'm very, very passionate, really, really passionate about sewing. So that that covers the sew part. What about the first two parts? So so before before you can sew, then you have to have something in your hand, right? Yeah. Before you can sew a seed, you have to have a seed. So so if you if you if you were to ask me, I'm I'm explaining about the grow part of the book, right? So Kyle, mm-hmm. if you were to ask me, Bruce, I'm interested in growing cabbage. How do you grow cabbage? I'm like, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> like I have absolutely no clue how to grow cabbage. But guess what? There are millions, I would even say billions of people. We we go through the school system and we all have to touch money. And if uh-huh. you ask the average person, Charles Schwab did a study in 2019 and it says 59% of American adults live paycheck to paycheck, which implies that many don't know how to grow their money. Mm-hmm. So that part of the book is giving hope to persons who are in a sea of debt, they're in a state of sadness and helplessness that makes them feel hopeless. By the way, that's a technical definition for depression. Mm, yeah. Many people are in financial, many people are in financial depression. So the book says, you're in this depressed state. I am going to show you a picture of hope, which immediately starts to lift them emotionally. And in that part of the book, I give nine steps, but I'll just say quickly, I'm going to collapse it in three quick points. So in that part of the book, I say, listen, in the same way that you can grow a plant, you can grow your money. And the first thing is you must understand your current financial health. Mm -hmm. You need to know where you are. If you're going to run a marathon, Boston Marathon, you don't just pick up yourself and go run to the Boston Marathon if you've never done it before. (laughs) You need to go do a health check. You need to talk to your physician, right? And when you see where you are, then you might need to say, I can't run it this year. I may run it this next year. So I give 10 Listeners, I give 10 financial health indicators in the book. If you want to know your financial condition clinically in the same way that the doctor will test your blood sugar, test your cholesterol, test your PSA, test your blood count, we can do the same thing metaphorically with your money. You ask many people how to do that. They look at you like if you ask me how to grow cabbage. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> uh, right? Yes, nice, nice. And for each of the 10, I give the target the best practice. And, uh, and, and you're uh, able to measure yourself. And you can see where you fall short. The doctors will say your blood sugar should be X. Your blood pressure should be Y. We yeah. know what the targets are. Right. We have similar targets. And they're all articulated in the book. How did you come to those targets? Or those metrics? How, how did you boil it down? Or is that the secret sauce? No, no, no. It's all in the book. I will tell you like, <laughs> I, will, I will tell you that this whole book project it was born out of passion for helping others. I can tell. I never dreamt of being an author. I never sat in my balcony and look up in the sky and say, hey, you should be a nice thing to see my name through the, book, the window of a bookstore. That's not how it started. Mm-hmm. It simply started with the pain of, of persons. And so a lot of inspiration came with that passion. I just had a And it's not a new idea necessarily for persons to do their health check, but the Mm -hmm. way how I have characterized it, my metaphors, people love it, right? So it's it's inspiration intertwined with just reading. There's no nothing new under the sun, right? So there's a lot of literature out here on these things, but I've just kind of put it in a way that is very easy to 
to understand and and to remember. And people absolutely love. I can't tell you the number of presentations that I've done, and people are like, Bruce, you make it so easy. <laughs> you can relate to it. They're probably happy to have some hope. There you go. That's step one for growing, by the way, but we can continue with some of the other steps later on. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Well, I just wanted to touch back on what you're saying about understanding the health of your own financial picture and how easy it is when we're in those sea of debt or when we feel like we're drowning or in that financial depression that you called it. It's it's almost like if you don't look at it, if you don't acknowledge it, then it's not there. Like that was that's correct. That's I think the mentality a lot of us slip into. And that's yeah, that's just going to lead you into the same cycle, right? It, it, it will. And I actually address that in the book. Right. And there is a section of the book where I talk about money personalities mm-hmm. and that we all have money personality. And one of the money personalities is that of an ostrich. And usually the ostrich is somebody who has a lot of they fail strong words. They miss the mark more euphemistic. They miss the mark with the 10 financial indicators. You know, their debt to income ratio is high. Um, they don't have proper health insurance, don't have proper life in, life insurance. Mm-hmm. They don't have an emergency fund. They're not investing for their kids' college. They don't have proper pension, right? And when people when people do the tests, as I said, there's a link between money and emotions. Mm-hmm. It naturally makes you feel down. I, I did the test with a young medical doctor, and she did not do so well. And I said, how are you feeling emotionally? She said, sad, um, embarrassed, mm-hmm. anxious, and afraid. That's what she said to me. Wow. And And then, of course, I gave her a couple of pointers and that significantly turned her situation around. And then afterwards I said, how are you feeling? She said, I feel hopeful. That's awesome. And I'm this, I, I, I mean, so, 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 so to go back to the point, so I made a point in the book that financial problems do not disappear. I have some interesting metaphors, <laughs> like a steam, like steam from a rising pot. That's uh-huh. the metaphor that I use. And I also said a financial problem ignored is like a small infected wound ignored that may lead yep. later to amputation. <laughs> I, I use those images in the book. And so I argue, do not be like the ostrich when you have the emotional pain and that will make you want to feel like doing nothing. You need to think about the legacy of your family and find a why and that will give you the strength. And when you run into a book like this and you read my story, it will give you hope. Bruce can do it. 12 siblings, you know, poor, poor family. Mm-hmm. And here he is, as credible as he is. And he's not just telling me about his story. He's giving me a roadmap. I'm giving the 14 steps 
that's amazing. Yes, sir. Based on what you've been saying to me. <laughs> uh, another thing too that um, I always go back to, like every time I get that feeling of like, I want to ignore the financial uh, issues. Like I got a big credit card bill and I don't want to look at it or I'm afraid to see what it is for the month. Uh, I always find that when I do actually sit down and look at it, it's always not as bad as I built it up in my mind. The longer you let it go, the bigger the elephant I think becomes in your head. So I'm, I'm curious how many of the people that you talk to that are afraid to look, afraid to start, like how many of them look and then once everything's down and on paper, they think, oh, you know what? This isn't nearly as bad as I thought it was. Most people don't want to look, but mm -hmm. with the way that I start and I explain that this is a discussion around hope, once you see, this is so amazing, once you see a path even if you're at step one, the fact that you can see a way out, yes, it makes them feel better. Mm -hmm. And so they're more willing to listen and to do the health check. And the way I would do the health check sometimes is that red is the one that you're struggling with. Right. right? And I did one for a lady. She had it's 10, 10 steps and she had like nine or 10 reds. Oof. And having seen that, she said, okay, fine. She agreed to some treatments. And I was just casually moving along and she said, Bruce, I want you to do the color code again so I can see my greens. <laughs> Good for her. She wanted to feel like she's progressing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm just saying whoever is coaching and even the language of the book, if you start by saying, look, it's not necessarily going to be pretty, but I'm giving you a path. I'm giving you a way. It's like you going to the doctor. If you're feeling a pain in your chest or your foot or somewhere and you don't know what it is, once the doctor finds a diagnosis, even mm -hmm. if you don't like the diagnosis, you start to feel better because he's going to say, this is a treatment plan. That's exactly how the book is built. Yeah. And with, at least with finances, that's most likely you're not going to get a situation where like, oh, sorry, you might as well just close up shop and expire tomorrow because there's no hope. No. <laughs> that's not the case in the financial world. No. 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 So it starts with the diagnosis. And then the next step is, I'm not going to give you all nine, but just quickly, if you don't mind, Kyle. Yeah, so please, you, do the diagnosis, please do. you do the diagnosis, you look at your 10 um, indicators, emergency fund, are you saving towards a retirement account? Do you have life insurance? And for every single one of these, like I said, I have the target. So your life insurance coverage, you really need six to 10 times your gross salary. Mm -hmm. You're going to know how much you actually have, right? Right. Should. But here is here, <laughs> you should. But here is a pivot, Kyle. Is not to see the problem. Mm -hmm. It's to now move to how do I fix it? And then yes. I pivot. I pivot to the uh, the next step. Set financial goals and become obsessive about achieving them. And and once you know what your weak areas or your sick areas are. Have some birds outside. It's not uh, difficult. <laughs> it's not difficult mm -hmm. to set those financial goals. And when when I explain this to people, like Bruce, this is so easy. So, for example, one of your tests or eight, one of the tests is that your emergency fund. You should have. Let's say you need two thousand dollars per month to live. You're a single person, mm -hmm. and we recommend six months, three to six months. Three times two is six thousand dollars, right? Yeah. You need an emergency fund of six thousand dollars. But if you have zero savings from you do the health check, that's going to be a problem. So one of your goals should be to build an emergency fund over a reasonable period of time. Mm -hmm. So the goal 
is like the treatment. So your blood sugar is high. You need to stop eating so much sweet. That's the treatment. And, and you can literally do a simple mapping of all the things that you need to do, which are your financial goals, to fix those weak areas. But I'm also arguing it's not just a writing the goals. You must be obsessive about turning your financial situation around. I was obsessed with helping my family to mm -hmm. get out of the financial distress that we were in. That was my why. And when your why makes you cry, then you will do what you have to do without breaking any laws to turn uh, that situation around. That was my next question was going to be was how do you how do you instill that obsessiveness? Like how do you get people to flip that switch and take it that seriously? But it sounds like what you said, you have to figure out your why. Once you know your why and you really, really want it, it will happen. Yes. Yes. A lot of people would want to help their parents more. Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to help their communities more. Um, a lot. Look, I've had situations where, not to bragging or boasting, there's just so much need, so much, so much pain out there. You know, um, you have a, I know somebody that had a relative who was not well mm -hmm. and, you know, they never had enough money to, to attend the funeral because it was in a far place. Those are what money. The money thing is not a joke. No, it's a serious thing. So, 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 you know, that, so you, you diagnose the financial goals, that's a treatment. And, and this third thing on the grow, which is probably the most important, Kyle, I talk about the fuel of learning how to save money. Hmm. We live in a culture of instant gratification. Yes. <laughs> Consumerism, you're bombarded. So I talk about avoiding cultural influences. And all of those points were just encouraging the reader. You must learn to save money. It is the fuel that will drive those goals. It is the blood that runs through your financial vein. The money is the seed. The, the farmer cannot eat the seed. The farmer must find a way to keep back some of that um, mm -hmm. seed so that those can be planted. And I get into living on a budget, avoiding cultural influences, and managing that. And that's L-A-M. You want a mathematical formula for saving money. It's living on a budget plus avoiding cultural influences plus managing debt equals saving money. Uh, yes. We'll get the book. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, I, I feel like I was probably really blessed to have the grandparents that I had, the influence that, because they're the ones who taught me about money, I think, the my parents never really talked about it with me. My dad was never all that great at, at saving or planning, um, but they instilled mm -hmm. a lot of great values with me, like never using credit, um, always paying cash for, for any big purchases. So I, if I wanted something, I'd set a goal, I'd save for it. And then once I had the cash to go buy it, then, well, what usually would happen is I'd find that I preferred having the money rather than the actual thing because enough time had passed. Awesome. <laughs> but if I really wanted it, then now I could do it without putting myself in any, you know, financial hardships. And awesome. I, I yeah, I, I'm glad to see that somebody's out there trying to to teach some of these concepts and and stuff to the younger generation because yeah, it's it's missing. Yeah. It really is. It 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 is missing, Kyle. And and in the tagline in the in the subtitle to the book, right? Mm -hmm. if you don't mind repeating, it says simple strategies to grow 
protect and store your money at any age. Mm-hmm. So I'm not targeting working adults only. Right. The book has what I'm calling money journal assignments at the end of each of the 14 steps for working adults and for students. I love that. That's that's how much energy and effort that went into this because I'm also arguing in the book, if you can learn to save even hundred US dollars a month from your working life until you're mm-hmm. 60, 40, you won't need to worry about money ever because of the law of compound interest. And I have the math yep. in the book that shows the young people. Now is the time. Time is your biggest friend. Compound interest is another ally. And with some discipline, if you start saving money, $100 a month, the, the benchmark is 15% of your annual income. But some people cannot start there because they have student loans. But if you average even 5 10% of your income over your working life, starting working at age 22, by the time you hit 60, you have much more than a million mm-hmm. US. And if you adjust that with the inflation rate over the years, you'll be fine. Apply the 4% rule. You don't need to worry about anything. Oh, yes. I talk about that in the book. In fact, the power of compounding is so amazing. Um, I remember seeing, this is before inflation, so the numbers are probably different now, but I want to say it was something as low as like a little over two or $3,000 at, like if you put that into an IRA or into an index fund when your child is born, by the time they hit retirement age, they will not have to worry about retirement. Like that's yeah. how that's yeah. how powerful time is when it comes to growing wealth. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I could add to that, right? If you put a hundred US dollars a month mm-hmm. over the next forty years and into some kind of a mutual fund or index fund that averages twelve percent, which is kinda of on the top end, mm-hmm. right? That's that's one point two million US dollars. Yeah. Yep. Hundred dollars a month. Eat a little less, buy a little less brand name, right? You get to a hundred dollars easily, you automatically set that thing off. Um, in, 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 you know, even if you don't do the 12%, the, 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 the S&P 500 averaged 10.5% over the last 65 years up to 2001. Yep. That's, that, that's the power right there. We need to talk about these things and we need to teach these things at school. You don't need to leave your money in a 0.01% savings account. <laughs> Inflation will erode that. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll ever get back to having, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent interest rates from banks? Yes. And... The reason I'm saying that is if you look historically, there are a lot. I'm not an economist. I'm an accountant. But mm-hmm. there are lots of cycles that, that you'll notice, um, you know, whether it's the recession cycle, um, whether it's the stock market cycle. And even here in Jamaica, our interest rates spiked over the last maybe year. Lots of the central banks, the equivalent to your Fed, they've been increasing their policy rates, which have been increasing the barn rate because they're trying to keep inflation down. Right. But here in Jamaica, here in Jamaica, our central bank have actually started to reduce the, the the policy rate and our inflation rate and our lending rates. More so our inflation rate. So our inflation rate, the last one that came out a couple of days ago was five point eight percent, coming down from eleven percent. Well, at least it's going the right way. <laughs> it's second down, you know, for us in Jamaica. Well, we covered growth and we covered so, but we haven't talked about protect yet. Do you have any uh, insights you'd like to share with that idea? Yeah, of course. So protect carries the idea that let's say you have a beautiful orchid that you've spent a lot of time growing. Mm-hmm. You're not going to leave that orchid for the, the, your nice poodle or some stray animal to destroy that, that beautiful plant, right? Right. 
And so we, we need to learn to protect. And under protect, I give three instruments or three tools, basic tools. One of them, and that particular chapter is called, and it's amazing how I, I just write notice out of my head. Yes, I'm the author, so I should. It says get, it says, get insurance protection. The storms of life will come. Mm-hmm. Once you are a card-carrying member of the human race, your phone is going to ring one day or you're going to get a text message or an email that some negative thing has happened. That's one of the distinguishing marks of being a human being. We are aware that pain is around the corner. It's just a matter of when. Yes. That's what it means to be human. So whether it's going to be, a, God forbid, a car or the death of a loved one. And, and so insurance protection is one of the ways that you can protect your health. Life insurance, Kyle, mm-hmm. most people are way under the life insurance coverage that they need. And part of it is a lack of knowledge. More people need to be taught about term life insurance. I am not one of those persons who will kick whole life or permanent insurance mm-hmm. to the curb. And for those who are listening, term life is you buy insurance for a particular term. Right. You only get coverage. Whole life is where you buy insurance, you get a little savings and coverage. So, you know, the whole life tends to be a little bit more expensive. But too many people are underinsured. And part of it is because they were never properly introduced to this other thing called term life, right? Yeah. And, and you know, you have young couples, they one die early, they have a whole life policy that is relatively expensive and only covers them maybe 20%, 30%. And that's a problem. Yeah. So in the book, I talk about term life, you need six to 10% of your gross income. And the fastest way to get that coverage is a term life policy. If you have chronic health issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, we're not giving financial advice here. And the views represented here by me are mine and not any of the entities I represent. <laughs> but if you if you if you if you don't have if, if you for you to get to that recommended ten times your gross income, the cheapest and fastest way to do that is term policy, which can be ten times cheaper than a whole life. Forgive all the jargon. We're just saying one way to protect your wealth is to have proper insurance. And one of those being life insurance. Another right? interesting thing about insurance is just how few people, I think, try to use it when they can. Like, I just recently had to replace a roof on one of my rental properties. And uh, if if I hadn't known that my insurance policy was going to cover that or even to ask that question, that would have been a very large out-of-pocket expense. It would have been. It would have been. So, and as you mentioned that, right, I, I talk about property insurance mm-hmm. and similar to what you just said, but the main argument, one of the main arguments I made about property insurance is being careful about the value that you insure your property, right? right. They encourage you to insure at replacement costs so that if you had a loss, you will be compensated at the full loss right. rather than if you insure at an amount that's lower than the replacement cost. All of this is in the book, guys. So we're not going to try and explain everything to the T, right? <laughs> we've got to leave something, right? <laughs> Can't spoil it all. Yeah. And I talk about disability insurance and, you know, most people over their lifetime at some point, they may not be permanently disabled, but you may have to stop working for some mm-hmm. period of time. There have to be anything, you know, I would talk about the importance of that. So that's one tool, insurance. And the next tool, the very uncomfortable topic, Kyle, of estate planning. Yeah. And and acknowledging the fact that we all have an appointment, one that we cannot escape, one that we cannot postpone. And that's you pass from time to eternity. And we need to plan for that. 
Um, Prince never had a will. Oh, um, oh. Diego Maradona never had a will. And it creates so much, so much problems, you know. So it's stuff like that. How how do you how do you even have those conversations though? Because they're so uncomfortable. Because I I I, so I remember sitting down as um, as a teenager with my grandparents, my dad, and my, uh, his sister, and they were talking about you know what they wanted in their will. Like they wanted us to go around and like put our names on the different things that they collected over the years, for them, so that way they know what who wanted what. And it it, it feels so it feels awful. To go yes. and have that mindset when I would trade all that stuff in for one more day with my grandpa, you know, yes. like, how do you have those conversations and how do you approach it from a mindset to where you're not thinking of it like as a way to like make yourself better? You're thinking of it as a way to like help them ensure that their wishes are met. Well, excellent question. It's not a subject that I even like to talk about, but the way how I get my yeah, the way how I get the way how I get my mind set right, so I can mm-hmm. put it put my will in place and so on, which I have, and I talk about it in the book. I visualize everything, right? Yeah. So I I I argue that I don't want my family to be grieving about my loss. Hopefully, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, I'm sure they will. Um, depending on who goes first, so I don't want to be I don't want to, them to be grieving over mm. me not being here. And at the same time, stressing over how quickly the, the, the assets are transferred right. and not having the cash to pay the transfer tax and pay attorneys. So right. I visualize the double impact of stress. And when I see that, then that gives me the energy to get over myself and the discomfort and go write that will and have the difficult conversations about who would get what. That's what I do. That helps from the aspect of the person writing the will, but the the person who's sitting on the other side of it when you're trying to sit your kids down and be like, "Look, something ever happens to me, like, oh, we, yeah, oh, that's oh. the hard, part, harder part, I think, because it just feels like you're sitting there, like, I see what you mean, counting the stuff that you're gonna get when they pass, and I, I hate that feeling. I, I, I didn't fully get the question. I'm, th- I'm glad you clarified. Well, both are hard, and I think that your answer was great too. Yeah. That 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 part, I don't have an answer for that. It's just a nasty feeling. Um, but if I if I were to give an answer, and I, I think my 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 I have three sons. I think mm-hmm. they're I think they're there. They they have accepted that um, it is what it is. Right. One right. day, one day, if it goes based on age and chronology, my my parents won't be here. And this this hard conversation is to reduce. The, the pain and the stress when they're not here rather than ignoring it mm-hmm. and that's not a, putting in the plan. That's a great point. I think they get it. I, I genuinely think they get it. And I, how I know that I heard my eight year old say, I don't remember what we're talking about, but he said "Dad, when I'm 50, I don't think you'll be around. I think, I think the, what you said about minimizing the impact and stress, I think is the mindset that we have to think of when we're sitting on the other side of that table. Like, yeah, it's not comfortable for us, but at the same time, we want to give, we want to give our loved ones the peace of mind that they know that when they're gone, that they're not going to, that they didn't leave anything unfinished that, you know, that their wishes are going to be honored, that they're, that people are taken care of. I think, I think we give them that peace of mind and we approach it from that mindset. Maybe that makes it a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, Okay, so that's Grow, Protect, Sow. That's the 14 steps of financial freedom. I think we 
I think you could almost write a book report, but (laughs) (laughs) But we still, uh, if you want to dig deeper into these topics and these ideas, uh, you should definitely check out the website, 14 steps to financial freedom.com. Yeah. And, and, and the website has some free stuff if you don't mind me. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. I've been, yep. Yep. It does. I love it. So, so, you know, if, if you want to get a quick and dirty sense of your financials, status or financial health there's a free financial health test takes you like 10 minutes if you can sit down with your spouse or your spice (laughs) spice nice (laughs) and um it will it will and again it's all the disclaimers are there you know but it will help you to figure out if you're at one of three stages total financial independence partial or financial bondage don't like to say that but those are the three it's better than terminal <laughs> <laughs> for those persons who who buy the book if you come back to the up- website and upload a copy of the receipt mm-hmm. then you'll get a free workbook and the workbook is a consolidation of all the money journal assignments at the end of each of the 14 steps in one place with stuff for you to put your notes in you hear oh, that nice nice yeah people love it man i bet i bet Man, okay. Well, we talked. We covered a lot of stuff today, from from growing up in Jamaica to to sharing your message and finding your passion and and just inspiring other people. I think it's been this has been fantastic, Bruce. Thank you. One last question I got to ask you is: Why do you have a UK license too? <laughs> one of your one of your accreditations. You got the US, you got Jamaica, and the UK. Kyle, you're asking all the great questions, man. So my UK license stemmed from the fact that Jamaica has a UK history and heritage. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have in Jamaica a national body like the AICPA. Well, not even so much the AICPA. No, no, that's not a good example. We don't have the equivalent to a NASBA. So NASBA is the body in the US that writes the, sets the CPA exam, right? Um, okay. So okay. we don't have a national body in Jamaica that sets a national exam that is globally accredited. We don't. So what Jamaicans have to do, we have to find a country who has such a accounting designation and sit that exam. And, 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 and so that's what happened. So, I, so even I live in Jamaica, we typically sit the British professional exams or the AIC, the, the NASBA, the CPA in, in the US. Right. right, right. Okay, that makes so, sense. So I did the, the UK one first, just because again, our history with, with England and being a colony, and and so having sat the UK exam with the UK body, I applied for membership with the UK body. But the, Amer- the Jamaican Accounting Institute is a personality and, a, and an entity on its own who also issues their license, but they ride on the mm-hmm. back of the exam set by the UK. I don't know if any of that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And then- yes, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Are you going to go to the UK? Have you been? I've been to the UK a number of times, but I love it in beautiful, sunny Jamaica where I can play golf every day if I have the time. Um, but I love to visit. I'm jealous <laughs> listening to your birds <laughs> in the, the, out the window. <laughs> I, we have some amazing golf courses, especially in the resort towns like in Montego Bay. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Some of those courses are majestic and you know, okay. so yes, I'm rubbing it in. Come to Jamaica, everyone who's listening, and spend some money in our tourism industry. We need it for our GDP, man. Come over to Jamaica and feel all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's the end of the episode here. Thank you so much, Bruce. 
Uh, fortunately, we have come to the end of our time. Uh, he's got some birds to feed. Yes, thank you. Uh, make sure you check out his website or, uh, yeah, from the website, you can pick up the book or you can find it on Amazon. It's 14 Steps to Financial Freedom. Website is the same name. We'll have links in the episode description. You can find us at twobullsinachinashop.com. Back in your ears soon with another exciting episode. But in the meantime, harness your inner Bob Marley and puff, puff, <laughs> pass this episode to your friends. Take care. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.